The world is a beautiful but challenging place to live. And let's face it, life hits hard sometimes. So if you find your hopes and dreams and mental well-being needs a boost, you're tuned in to the right podcast. Welcome to Inspire Us with your host, Jay Paul Nadeau, a former hostage negotiator turned motivational speaker and acclaimed author of Take Control of Your Life. And now, here's your host, Jay Paul Nadeau. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Inspire Us. Today, my guest is Mark Dreger. Mark is a very accomplished individual with a podcast of his own, very inspirational podcast called We Do Hard Things. And it's true. We all do hard things. But we are resilient, and sometimes things don't just work out the way that we want to. But we are very resilient people, as Mark points out. We have an open and honest dialogue about some of the challenges that Mark has in his life. And I find that refreshing to hear that we are more similar than we are different. Everybody is struggling with something. And when we can openly talk about it and talk about some of the solutions, then we are that much better. So without any further delay, I want to introduce you to Mark Drager. Hello, Mark, and welcome to Inspire Us. Paul, I'm so excited to be here. (laughs) (laughs) You are such an inspirational individual, and I am excited to have you on. I want you to share your story and your vision for people, because you're reaching out to a lot of people. You're making a difference in people's lives. And you also uh, run uh, the podcast, We Do Hard Things. And I'd like you to get a little bit into that as well. So I'm going to turn the microphone over to you, man. You're an inspiration. Why don't you tell us a little (laughs) bit about your background and how to become the powerhouse that you are right now? Well, I mean, I listen, I appreciate the kind words. And what I love so much about your, your energies, I can feel the sincerity. And I think most people can. Um, I don't feel like the powerhouse. And that's the problem. You know, people tell me, people tell me often, they see my gifts, they see my skills. And I think for many of us who are high achievers, you only see the the gap, you only see what could have been. And you see where you came from. You know, Mm -hmm. when, when we, we first met on, on Clubhouse, And one thing that I loved about Clubhouse, but I also struggled with, is every single person I met only saw me at the snapshot at the moment that they met me. And they saw the fact that I uh, have been running a creative agency for 15 years. And they might go to the website, they might see, hey, you've worked with the NBA, you've worked with national airlines, and you've done television campaigns, and you have this team. Or they might go into my social media and they see, hey, you know, you're, you're really, really good friends, really close friends with Evan Carmichael. I've known him for 14 years and actually shot his first YouTube video. If people know his YouTube channel, um, I was there, I was in his first book. Uh, or they, they might see that, you know, I've been married uh, for 17 years and my wife and I have been together 22 and we have four amazing kids and they might see all these things. And so in this snapshot, they go, wow, you know, like he's outgoing. He has all of these things and and he's a cool guy. But what I saw was the fact that in that snapshot, I was only coming out of maybe three or four months and still working through this really big kind of, I don't want to call it a midlife crisis, but this really challenging point in my career where, yes, I've been running a creative agency for 15 years, but the last three years I was struggling. I hated showing up to work. 
I was depressed. I didn't like it. I didn't know what we were doing. I didn't know where we were going. I didn't know how to manage the team anymore. And yes, I had the wife and I have the kids, but at home, uh, I was cycling emotionally between being so energetic and so stressed and depressed that at a point, my friend Evan came to me and said, Mark, I think you might be bipolar. And we'll get it. Maybe we can get into the story. I know that I wasn't bipolar because I was raised by a, a, an angry alcoholic stepfather who had the manic side of bipolar. So I knew I wasn't that, but maybe I had borderline personality disorder. I, I didn't know. So I went and saw a therapist. Turns out I have anxiety. And so this is the challenge that so many of us face as high achievers. And what we work so hard to try and cover up and to try and hide. And we spend so much energy beating up ourselves for where we've been. We don't see the powerhouse. I don't often see it. Now, I say that where this week I see it, today I see it. I feel like I'm on fire. And yet just last Thursday, I was like falling apart. <laughs> so, and so, you know, where's my story and where I've come from? I, you know, I, I grew up in, in, in a free country here in Canada, like you, and I grew up um, upper middle class and I grew up with all of the opportunities and I grew up in a really amazing, loving, great home until I was seven and my mom remarried and the person that she married, she didn't know because he hid it from her, um, had a mental health illness. Uh, you know, was a very angry person, an alcoholic and my world kind of shifted. And from seven until I moved out at 16, uh, I lived in kind of a pressure cooker of a household. And that turned me into, yes, the person who wanted to move out at 16 and wanted to be a grown up and got married at 21 and had kids at 23 and started an agency and achieve, 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 achieve. But also what I've been unpacking for the last few years is, man, I feel like there's a lot of things <laughs> that really messed me up along the way. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. All right. Let me just jump in for a little bit. Uh, now, you were saying that in between the gaps, and I love the way that you put that, Mark, uh, that, that there are moments where we are on fire, and then there are moments that we are not, and you pointed that out so beautifully. Where are you right now? Like, uh, just as recent, you were kind of falling apart, but what is it that you do to get yourself back into a, a place of, of power, if, if I could use that, if we can use that term? Like, what is it that you say to yourself or what is it that you do to get yourself back up? I wish I could do that better and, and even answer that question. And I, I want to work on being in control of that. Um, but uh, there are certain things that are kind of non-negotiables. Mm -hmm. And I hold on to even when I'm feeling down or slow or beating myself up. So those are things like, you know, like I, I've, I, every time I get into, I have a shower, if I'm going to have a shower, I have to end with a cold shower. And at the very least, even if I'm not confident in work or confident or I didn't, you know, treat someone the right way or I didn't do something, if I'm going to have a shower, it's not negotiable because I know that at least I'm holding on to something of my ambitious side. And, and I'm not going to not do that. I wish I, you know, I want to get up every day at the same, and I, I don't, I shouldn't use the word shoulds and wishes and hopes and all right. of that stuff. That's all right. BS, right? Yeah. But when I'm getting up between four and 5 a.m. and when I'm hydrating properly, I'm eating 
a really clean diet and, and all of those things, you know, when I shower and shave every day, uh, I just show up a certain way with confidence. Now, when I'm not feeling confident, when I'm feeling down, suddenly I start to sleep in a little bit more. Suddenly, um, you know, my diet isn't quite as tight. My, when I go to the gym, because I still go to the gym regardless, I, that's a non-negotiable, but maybe I'm not pushing, maybe I'm letting myself down. And so there's, there's two things. One, I gotta, I gotta, sometimes I'm willing to forgive myself and say, things are gonna take longer than you think they should. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just need more sleep. Sometimes you're more tired. Not every run is going to be a personal best. Not every pitch is going to close. Mm-hmm. Not every conversation with your son or your daughter is going to be one that you're proud of. And then on the other side, I'm just like, I don't know if I should accept that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I should accept that. But what, I, but what I tell myself is, hey, how bad do things need to get before you're going to start taking this seriously, Mark? Honestly, that's what, that's what I do. Like when things get embarrassing, that, I don't know about you, but when things get embarrassing, when you feel like you're letting yourself or other people down, when, when you have to rise to the occasion, I know I will always rise to the occasion. So often um, I try to make things painful enough, embarrassing enough, or I try to force an occasion that I have to rise to because that is what will kick me back into up, let's say. Right. Okay. Ah, wow. There's a lot to unpack right there. How, yeah. How often, Mark, how often do you talk to yourself that way? Like how often do you kind of examine your life and you, and you see some of the things that, that are human, that we're not always going to have the perfect conversations. We're not always going to be the perfect people, but how often do you visit that place and how hard are you on yourself when you visit that place? I think we all do it. And I, I know that there are certain ways in which we can, we can challenge those thoughts. And, and I know that you've spoken to a lot of people and helped a lot of people get through those spots yourself. What is it you tell yourself? Because sometimes we can be great healers for other people, but when it comes to healing our own selves, it's a little bit challenging at times, if that makes sense to you. What do you, yeah. do, to, what do, you do to lift yourself up and to to challenge the, the, the words and the thoughts that are going into your head. Uh, I, so to your first point of the question was how often do you do this too much? <laughs> I live in my head. Uh, I, I overthink everything. And so how often am I doing this? Um, let's say 80 or 90% of every day, <laughs> all okay. the time. Okay. So it, it's, it's, it's a pretty constant dialogue that's in my head. Now, just on Friday, um, I have I have two friends. One one of them uh, is a gentleman that I met on Clubhouse, actually, um, uh, Nick Bradley, uh, an amazing guy out of the UK, uh, and we became really really good friends. And then another another um, podcaster that I'm friends with as well. And and early on, I saw in them that we were similar in some ways, but but had strengths in other ways. And I put together this group where the three of us just get together for three hours once a month and talk. You can call it a mastermind, but it's not that formal or fancy. And on Friday, we had our call, and I was explaining to them uh, some of the challenges I was working through. And, you know, Nick, in his classic way, which I love, is, is no BS, just get your schnitzel together kind of approach, was like, hey, dude, you're aware of it. These are the things you got to work on. No one's going to do it for you. Make it happen. Mm-hmm. And then Stephen, my other friend, Stephen Scoggins, uh, was a little bit more a little bit more um, 
personal, let's say, or caring, maybe even in, in that he's like, listen, like, this is some stuff that you got to work through and it's going to hold you back unless you do. You're too hard on yourself. You can't compare yourself to an idealized version of how things could have been, should have been, or what have you. And I was trying to explain to them that once I understand, like, like let's use health as an example. That's easy for me. Maybe it's easy for some people, but four years ago, I was 70 pounds heavier than I am today. Hmm. Four years ago, I was, I didn't work out. I didn't diet. I didn't focus on health. And every step of that journey of getting healthier, of getting leaner, of building muscle, I now do Spartan obstacle course races. I can now run, you know, like a half marathon without really prepping or even thinking about it. I can just go do it. Like I'm the healthiest I've ever been in my life. Um, four years ago, I was not. But if we used health as an example, I might think that having six pack abs is what everyone should have. Like that's the idealized version. And the fact that I don't have it at basically 40 years old, having never been fit up until a few years ago, why don't I have these abs? And why can't I diet like a performance athlete all the time? And why can't I perform? But the more that I realized and learned that, you know, maybe it's not achievable to hit that all the time, all day, every day. You might want to work 12 hours or 14 hours a day because your business is just launching or just starting or you're just taking off. And for a few weeks, you may, or a few months, you may have to do that. You may put in the 60 hour, 80 hour a week, but is that achievable month after month, year after year? And so I have this version. I think most of us do. We have this version of, a, of an idealized idea or, or the perfect idea of how we should be. And we measure ourselves against that. And guess what? We fall short, maybe not every day, but there are times where we're going to fall short. And I was telling them that as soon as I understood what areas of my life is okay, allow, I'm allowed to fall short in, that's human nature. Everyone does that. And what areas of my life are, frankly, most people fall short, but they're making excuses for falling short, in which case I do not want to fall short. I want to push through. As soon as I can separate those two concepts in my mind, I can let go of the things that I should simply let go of. But I don't want to accept the BS self-limiting excuse for the things I should push through. And if you are aware that these two things exist, how do you know which one's which? And, and that is the thing that I'm always overthinking. I'm trying to analyze, is this something that society or the stories I tell myself or my parents or whatever it is, is this, is this, is this truth that you, know, you cannot get by with six-pack abs forever? But some people do. So like, how do we right-size that? That is the thing I'm always trying to figure out. Okay, let's talk about that. Uh, do you believe that much of what you're thinking and you're beating yourself up, you're doing a lot of good beating up, I can see. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the king of beating myself up. <laughs> wow, yes, you beat yourself up. Do you think that a lot of that comes from the way in which you were abused by uh, your, your situation between the ages of seven and 16 with a, a, an alcoholic, angry, uh, depressed man? Do you think that a lot of that comes from him, that, uh, that you had to prove yourself? Because I know what it's like to be in an environment like that, where you're walking on eggshells, and you have to watch everything that you do, because you don't want to poke the angry bear. 
does a lot of this come from that past, Mark? I think all of it could easily be attributed to that. Um, and, and, and I think that's the same for everyone. I mean, no one gets through growing up without some form of trauma. Mm-hmm. I've heard it be said that, you know, either you don't, you know, you were the kid who didn't have enough money or you didn't have enough friends or you didn't have the encouragement you felt that you, that maybe you needed, or maybe you were too sensitive. Maybe you weren't sensitive enough, right? We all have, and, and as a parent, this is something that kind of bothers me a little bit. And I've learned that the answer, in fact, is you can't get in front of it. But what we all need is an empathetic witness, right? We need someone to come along and tell us, hey, it wasn't your fault. Or, hey, you did the best you could. Or, or oh, wow, that, that really, you did really screw up, but it's not the end of the world. Like, we, we need that person. And so, yeah, I mean, growing up with, um, in a household that was very, very um, sporadic. Now, it was sporadic because my, my, my stepfather was a firefighter. And so I can still remember the way the shift work worked, right? Which was in, in, in Toronto, it used to be four days. Uh, it was, sorry, five days, four days off, five nights, four days off. It was a, a night, night, 24-hour shift, day, day. And that's how they worked through the month. And the reason I know that is because if it was night shifts, I could go to school, night shifts, didn't have to see him. If it was day shifts, never quite sure how he would come home from having worked. If it was off, he would often go and work up at his cottage or go work somewhere else, in which case I might actually have like this beauty like week and a half. And when when he was gone, our household was back to quote unquote normal, right? right? And um, when you grow up with people who have mental health issues, you know, and especially because he was manic, he would go through these really like long periods of four to six weeks of mania. And there were some weird things, you know, like, like, hey, we're going to start a church. And, you know, he decided he in the 90s, he wants to start a church and REM song losing my religion is going to be the foundation for the church. And he went out and bought cell phones in 1992 from Cantel and like, okay, I'm eight, this must be normal. (laughs) Right? These kind of things. So I want to touch on something that you you brought up. You mentioned that we need someone uh, to come to us from time to time and say, hey, listen, it wasn't your fault. You're doing the very best you possibly can. And don't be so hard on yourself. That person has to be you. It has to be us. We have to look at ourselves in the mirror, Mark, and we have to tell ourselves we're, we're not perfect. We're never going to be perfect. There, you know, there was a perfect God, or is there? I don't know, but a lot of people believe it, but we're not it. We're human mm-hmm. beings living an existence and trying to do the very best we can. But we're not going to get rescued by somebody who's going to make it all better. It has to come down to what we tell ourselves and what we choose to believe about ourselves. And it was Socrates who said, an unexamined life is a, a life not worth living. And I love that because I know that you, you can resonate with this quote, uh, being the type of person that you are, we have to examine ourselves from time to time. And we have to say, okay, listen, I have messed up. I've, I've screwed up a few times, but I've learned from those experiences because 
You're not the man that you were six months ago. You're not the man that you were four years ago. You're not the man that you were yesterday. You're actually standing on the shoulders of the man that you were yesterday. And if something didn't go right yesterday and you are aware of what didn't go right, hey, I goofed, I made this error. Number one, I have to look at myself and say, all right, I'm learning from this experience, right? <laughs> hey, I'm not that person. I'm going to make these changes and I'll be better the next time. And I, I believe that we, I do that. I look at some of the things that I've done and go, oh my gosh, Paul. Yeah, but here, here's the thing. If, if you lack self-esteem, so, so I agree with you, yeah. but if you lack self-esteem or confidence in future you, you can look at the past and you can say, I will be better next time. But if you really don't love yourself or have confidence in yourself, you don't know if you will be better off. And it's that uncertainty that, that I have built up over the last few years. And I know that future me has this. But when I said last week that I was kind of in a down place, it was because I don't know if I was confident in the future. I don't know if I would show up better next time. What if... I peaked. What if, you know, what if I've let things slide? What if it's unrecoverable, right? Like that is something that we all have to recognize that when you at your core struggle with believing in yourself, it's actually very hard to believe that the next time that you attack this thing, it will be better. And, and once you kind of identify that and can see that and you can call it for what it is, which is BS, because so what if you're not better next time, right? Like I can rationally say this. So next time I'm going to be better. And if I'm not, what? It'll be just like the last time I got through the last one. What if it's worse than the last one? Okay. It's worse than the last one. And that's why I was saying like things almost for me have to get hard enough, bad enough, embarrassing enough for me to get that kick in the pants to say, you know what? No, I will not accept this poor performance or I will not accept this outcome things will be better they have to be better and that like why are you why are you telling yourself exactly what you said why aren't you telling yourself that every morning that you wake up every <laughs> morning that you wake up why are you not grateful you've got four children you've got a wife you've got a job you've got a home you've got so much to be grateful for mm -hmm. and the what you tell yourself to start your day, even you, you go into the cold showers. Oh, man, I, I've tried that. And that's not <laughs> you've got the discipline to do things. You've 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 proven to yourself that 70 pounds of 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 unhealthiness you dropped because you made a decision. Why don't you tell yourself these things every morning is that I hold myself to this standard. I will not repeat the same mistake. And I forgive myself for the things that I have done because I'm a better man than I was yesterday. And I am setting my day off intentionally. And I know that's sometimes easier said than done. Some people have a hard time even getting out of bed. But mm -hmm. I do believe that we have to set our day off with intention. And by repeating the mantras, hey, I'm, I'm a good person. I'm strong. I can do this. And once your conscious mind begins to believe that you are not going to repeat the same mistakes, then your subconscious mind will, it, it will follow through. It won't let you do it. And, yeah. and you don't think about the next time. You live the moments as they, uh, as they appear and you do the very, very best you possibly can. 
And, and Paul, that's the answer. Uh, all I can say is uh, I've come a long way and I'm working on it. Yeah. I'd love to you know, say like I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. I've come a long way. I know that I know that's the answer. Um, forming habits, sticking with habits is uh, something that I work on. Good. Uh, you know what? I'm, I'm yeah, I feel your your heart, my friend. I really, <laughs> and, and the struggle I feel as well. And, you know, I'm here for you man. you can you can call me anytime. Um, I also have a book I'm going to send to you. Uh, it's my book. Take control. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Uh, yeah. Well, no, when I, we get together, when we get together for a coffee, since we both are in the same city. Yes. <laughs> you can I'll, hand it to me. I'll hand you the book. Yeah, you got it. But uh, I am so impressed by the things that you are doing. And thank you for being so vulnerable and open because I know that our listeners, uh, your listeners and my listeners today are going to resonate with so much because we do struggle with the same things that you struggle from time to time and we have to we have to get back into that positive mindset and as you pointed out it's not always easy the thing is and i know that you will resonate with what i'm about to say how bad do you want it it's like anything how you know what is the vision of the man that i am going to become because i am going to set this this man this vision and i'm going to work at becoming that man and not falling, you know, to, to uh, another version that's not as good. So every day is an opportunity to build that muscle of the man that you choose to be. And I, I just love the fact that we get, it was uh, Viktor Frankl that said, between stimulus and response, there is a moment. And in that moment, we get to choose our response. Mm -hmm. And from that choice, I think, I can't remember the rest of the, the, the quote, but it means that we don't have to react. We can respond to life. And so when we feel ourselves maybe getting upset or about to say something that, um, that we know we'll regret, we just have to take that moment and say, okay, wait a minute, between stimulus and response, there's that moment. What am I going to do? Which path am I going to take? Who am I? And then step up to the man that you are. I love it. What do you think of that? I, I love it. I love it. Uh, you know, Victor Frankel, um, Man's Search for Meaning, yes. changed my life working through that book. Um, I mean, there were a few in a series, but but that really kicked off. Uh, there's, I have this video, if you go to YouTube, that I posted, because every year, right around New Year's, I get very reflective. I think Thanksgiving, New Year's, Easter, uh, summer weekends, there are these moments, you know, Sunday evenings in the summer, summer as the sun is setting, there are these moments where you where you just feel um, a different type of energy. And I think the new year is a great way to reflect on that. There were five books that really, that I, that it worked in in an order that really changed my thinking in my life. And if you, if, if the listeners haven't worked through Man's Search for Meaning, um, I would suggest listening to the audiobook because there is the most amazing person who reads it. Um, and it's just, it's so poetic, but there's so much to that. I have that book, my friend, uh, on audio and also the physical copy of that book. And, and yes, I, I'd revisit that. What a powerful, uh, what a powerful message in every word that he writes, the experiences that he saw and the challenges that he observed other people saying, hey, I will not give in to life or to you because I'm better than my servant. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I, have, I have a message for you, my friend. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. <laughs> can, I, can I tell you have, you, have you seen the movie Encanto, the Disney no. animated movie no. Encanto? So it came out, um, gosh, I think maybe last fall. Okay. And uh, it's got um, Lynn, I, I always struggle to say his name, but it's got the guy, it, it's written by, the music is by the guy who did, um, who did uh, that big musical, the rap musical, Hamilton. Okay. Uh, and so it's a story of a family where every single person is given a gift, a different gift that, that is meant to protect or create a better world for the family and then for the community. And as I'm watching this movie, I'm thinking, wow, this is a mindset movie. Like every aspect of this movie is teaching lessons about the challenges that, that, that those who worry about perfection face versus those who are supposed to be strong. And what does that mean to be strong? And, and I won't give away the movie then if you haven't seen it, but there's a part towards the end where naturally there's a conflict and characters who have been you know, one character who has been doing what she felt is right, you know, has to come to terms or reckon with our main character who feels like she's doing what is right. And they had different points of view. But as this one character who, who is kind of the matriarch realizes that these standards that she set, that this world that she created, that, that the way that she thought things should go that it was putting all of this pressure on our main character to act a certain way, to show up a certain way, to be a certain person. And there's this moment, and I, I've watched the movie three times, and finally I started saying, Mark, you are that main character. Imagine someone telling you these words that it's, it's not your fault and you did the best you can, and how are you supposed to know? And I'm so sorry that I put this pressure on you. Like, like imagine, this is what I told myself, imagine, who knows who it is, but hearing what you needed to hear, being that person, and all of it is true. And so I'm sitting there in the theater, just bawling my eyes out, just, you know, my kids, my, my kid beside me is crying. The, the other one is, uh, he's, he's not that sensitive. So he's like, cool with it. He thinks it's funny. But I look to my girls, they're all crying. My wife is crying. I am just bawling my eyes out. Um, but but I, I, I love that movie and I love that moment. And there are all these moments that catch me that way. And so one thing I do love to do is just when, when a movie or a book or something I'm reading catches me a certain way and I hear those words, I, I just stop and go, this person is saying these words to you. Accept them as if you're hearing them. Accept them as if they're talking to you. And imagine yourself in that situation because it's, you can see it in these others. We can see others' gifts. We can see others' challenges. We can see what's holding them back. We can see it so clearly in everyone else. And yet it's a struggle for ourselves. So I have taken to just accepting those scenarios as truth, accepting them for myself, and then helping to work through some of these things. I get it. Yeah. Uh, I, wish, I wish we would have had this conversation uh, last week, and I'll tell you why. I have a, a very good friend by the name of Stuart Knight, and Stuart had this uh, human connection conference that he put on for the last three days in which we talked about forgiveness, we talked about uh, challenges, we talked about uh, so many ideas that you would have resonated with. Uh, there's a prayer that I became aware of uh, last year 
It's called the Ho'oponopono prayer. It's a Hawaiian prayer. And when you're looking for forgiveness, even looking for forgiveness from yourself, here's the prayer. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. <laughs> That's it. Those four statements. They, when, when this prayer was actually introduced in, uh, it, well, I don't know where it originated from. There's a book I, I want to read on it. But this warden of a prison brought this prayer into the prison and changed the lives of all the prisoners. Everybody started to respect each other and love each other. That is a powerful, powerful prayer. And from time to time, we have to look at ourselves and we have to, we have to look in the mirror and repeat that to ourselves. And I'll tell you, it's a life changer. The whole open, open, no. Uh, I think I'm saying it right. H-O apostrophe, O-P-O-N-O, O-P-O-N-O, I think. And it, when, you, when you search it uh, on the internet, you'll see what I mean. The power of that prayer, when we say it to somebody else, you don't only say it once, you repeat it. You yeah. repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. And I think that we have to do that to ourselves every once in a while too. Oh, I love that, Paul. Oh, man. You know what? You're so sorry. Can we talk just uh, just a couple of minutes as we close down? Uh, your um, your web your website. Tell us a little bit about your website and about your YouTube channel, where people can reach out and connect with you, man. Well, yeah, the best place if you want to connect, head over to Instagram. My handle is at Mark Drager. You can drop me a DM. Uh, I don't have chatbots. I don't have a VA. It's it's me. So drop me a DM if you want to connect uh, and you can certainly follow me. If you want to check out the podcast, We Do Hard Things, the best, it's on all the audio channels, of course, and we're listening to this now. So you might prefer listening, but it's actually a YouTube series. And so we put a lot of time and effort to make sure that it looks good and it sounds good. But if you wanted to head over to YouTube, you can certainly find me there at Mark Traeger as well. Um, and it's really a show uh, where I sit down with some of the most remarkable people and have conversations very similar to this, where, where I want to know, I want to know how they, you know, faced their fears. I want to know about the big risks and the big swings that they took when they're, as they're chasing down their dreams, because uh, we could focus on, you know, just getting through, we can focus on paying the mortgage, paying rent, and all of that stuff is important. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to discredit that, but in my life, and in those I've spoken to, if, if you're working for a pension, if you're dreading Sunday nights, if you're just working through so you can buy the next toy or take the next vacation to distract you from, frankly, kind of how boring or, or just uninspiring your work life is, I don't think we have to accept that. And in my own journey, you know, I spent many, many years building up Phantom Media, my market, my agency, multi-million dollar agency. And I would come back from vacation and I'd hate the drive into work. And I was never really happy with what we were doing. Part of it's because, again, this idealized version of what could be. But, but I was doing things for all the right reasons to make sure that I had bigger and bigger projects and bigger and bigger clients and had a bigger and bigger team. And, and we could buy a bigger house and we could take bigger vacations and we could do all of that stuff because what else was there? Mm. But I didn't enjoy the work. I didn't um, have a really passionate, strong vision. I 
did not like my schedule. I did not like emails coming in. Every time the phone rang, I thought oh, another thing to have to deal with. I'd go from fire to fire and I was super stressed out. And I thought this is nowhere, no way to live. And we know that, but how do we untrap ourselves? How do we stop running on the treadmill for a moment and untangle that, that thing, that, that life we've built, that career we've built so we can open up new space for new opportunities, for new passions. And, and what sacrifices do we have to make to allow ourselves to make this massive pivot, this massive transition? I believe it's worth it. You know, if you, if, if I'm turning 40 and so while on one side, I feel like, my goodness, you know, I'm, I'm turning 40 and right around the corner is 50 and 60. And it's like, I only have so many working years and am I doing the right thing? And should I be doing this? But if I take three, four, five years, maybe take a hit in my salary. Maybe don't take those vacations. Maybe, maybe downsize my home. Maybe like just focus on the things that really matter, but I can show up as a better father, as I show up as a better husband, I could spend my time with less stress, not worrying about the heart attack that's going to come at 55 because I'm burning myself out. And I spend the next 30 years this way, the next 40 years this way. Isn't that a better way to live and spend your time pursuing your interests, your passions, than it is to just keep going on the treadmill? And so that's what we do hard things is all about. And uh, really, we just want to profile people who have made this shift to show everyone in the world that you can survive taking a pay cut. You can survive having that hard conversation with your loved one or spouse, because in the end, once you face that hard thing on the other side of that, it's just a feeling of like, this is my life. I get to do this. It just doesn't feel like such a struggle all the time. You're right. And you know what it is? Uh, I love what you just said. And you reminded me as you were describing uh, the changes that people can make in their life. It reminded me of, um, what is his name? Sharma's book, uh, The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari. Mm. Uh, the, yeah. and, and what you described was pretty much the story there uh, on how this man changed his entire life and started to live as opposed to dread every moment in, in the courtroom and such. And I, I think a lot of people believe that they have time. This is, this is, this is a, the great lie that we all think we have this enormous amount of time ahead of us when in fact we have no idea how much time we have ahead of us. So yeah. the changes that we have to make, uh, I do not, it, when, and I hope I, I live a long, long life, but when I God am- God willing. <laughs> God willing, exactly. And when I am on my deathbed, I do not, and I tell people this, I don't want to be visited by the ghost of missed opportunities mm. or the ghosts of regret who say, you know what, uh, the missed opportunities, you could have brought us to life. You could have done this differently. You could, no, I want to be surrounded by the ghosts of rock and roll who say, dude, that was a great ride. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Bonnie Ware has got a great book, The Five Regrets of the Dying. Oh, and, yes. and I talked about earlier, the five books, you know, Man's Search for Meaning. The next book in, that really shaped my, my thinking was Bonnie Ware's Five Regrets of the Dying. And as I worked through that book, two things struck me. Um, okay, so, you know, Bonnie Ware was this end-of-life care worker who would, who would sit for months, at kind of a pilot of care point of view, to help people transition from kind of sickness or, you know, on their deathbed to the other side. And she noticed that people kept bringing up the same regrets 
you know, that hey, I wish I had lived more for myself and not for others. I wish I didn't work so hard. Like just these regrets would come through. Um, and I thought, you know, at the time I was 38 turning 39, even now 39 turning 40. And I thought, do I want to wait? You know, again, God willing, let's say I live to 90. Mm-hmm. Do I want to wait until I'm 90 to face this truth? And I thought, okay, if, if people looking backwards say, oh, I wish I had done this so differently. Could I accept this, that when I'm on my deathbed, again, gone willing, surrounded by all my family and my grandkids and all that stuff that I hope happens, will I turn to my, to my um, grandkids or my wife or my kids? I so wish 20 years ago I did this or 30 years ago I did this or I so wish I didn't work so hard. I was having coffee with my pastor last week and he just went back to school for the last year and got a master's in counseling. And you know what he said to me at 53 years old? He said, I wish I did this 20 years ago. Yeah. Should have done this 20 years ago. That's what I'm talking about. Like, like I don't want to live a life where I look back and go, I wish I lived a certain way. So last year I said, okay, I'm going to accept this as truth. Now this may not be true just because people regret it on their deathbed doesn't mean you can live your life this way. But what if you can't? Yeah. What if you can live your life where, you know what, I'm going to do things on my terms. And you know what, I'm sorry if I'm kind of breaking the rules or if I'm not as focused on, again, getting the bigger house, the bigger house, the bigger house. I want all those things. We, we want our house to be nice. My wife and I want a beach house. We want to spend six months every year in Europe traveling around. We want those things, but not at the expense of me having, again, a heart attack because I'm so stressed out or carrying all of this anxiety or, or working 60 hours a week or not watching my kids grow up. You know, I, I took my daughter to a dance competition that made me take a Friday off three weeks ago and I felt guilty. I felt guilty for taking a Friday off to take my daughter who's eight years old and growing up super fast and spend one-on-one time with her to a dance competition. That is what's wrong with how we have built a system today. You're right. And we can change that because mm-hmm. we can make our own rules, my friend. And I love this whole message because for everyone out there listening, Mark has hit on so many important topics. We can make a difference in our lives. Let's not work ourselves to death because time is not guaranteed to anyone and regret we don't need that or want that at the end of our lives what matters are the people in our lives now the love that we have we have to take care of number one so that we can take care of the others put the mask on your face first and that way you can help others along the way but you don't want to get yourself into a heart attack or anything like that. So yeah, let's make the changes now because you've given me a lot to think about, my friend. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, and uh, I, I hope that we keep in touch because uh, I do want to have that coffee with you. I want to sit across from you and pass you my book. And I want to have these conversations with you more. I love it. Anytime, Paul, thank you for having me really. And uh These are the types of conversations we need to have more of. And I think the biggest challenge we have is getting those who aren't maybe open to it to be open to it. And so I love the work you're doing. Thank you. And thank you. I love the work that you're doing too. So just hang on for a second. I'm just going to uh, say goodbye to my audience and I'll be right with you.
Thank you very much, everybody, for having joined us here on Inspire Us. Mark is a remarkable man, as you can see, and I hope that you get a lot from this show, and I thank you for being here. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another insightful episode. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button and leave your comments. For more information, check out our website at www.inspireus.ca. Remember, it's not what happens to us that matters most. It's how we respond to what happens to us that does. Stay strong and resilient. 